So the title of my message is, okay, so Alyssa, you know, I talk about things that the Lord is showing me and what I'm probably going to teach on and all that with my wife, naturally. And so this morning I said, I'll give, I said, I'll give you five bucks if you can guess the, the title of my message based on what we've been talking about, what I've been talking about. And she was like, what's love got to do with it? So I owe my wife five bucks. I was like, you, you saw it, you cheated. She goes, no, it's just obvious. She knows how much I love Tina Turner. And uh, <laughs> I'm glad I got a laugh on that. Uh, I really do love Tina Turner. And so actually I did say the title of the message is, what's love got to do, got to do with it? That's the actual title of the message. But <laughs> uh, and it's part one, because like I said, I feel like the Lord is really emphasizing love. And so for the next several weeks, when I'm up here, you're guaranteed a message on love right now, because I'm learning not to turn the page until the Lord does. And so he has me sitting on this. So this is What's Love Got to Do With It, part one. Um, you know, I, I, I've spoken on this, I believe this, that the church as a whole is entering a season of growth. We're being presented with an opportunity, and we have a choice. I was sharing this with, with Lori and Charlie. You know, this isn't something where we just get to sit on the beach. I mean, we can. We got that choice. We can sit on the beach and see the wave and go, wow, that's a pretty big wave. There it goes. That was a big wave. Did you see that wave? That was a big wave. You know, we, we can do that if we want. Or we can get in the water. And that's a choice, too, how deep we go. Because we can get in the water, and we can go up to our ankles, and we can see the big wave, and because of that, it might go up to our knees. Or we go to our knees, and it might go up to our waist, right? Or we can get on the surfboard, and we can go to where the wave will go, and we can try and catch it, and we can ride it. That's the, that's the choice we're, we're being presented with as members of the body, members of the church, because the church as a whole is entering this season. Um, and so when, we've, when I've been sharing, I've been trying to share in a way that is useful and helpful to getting on that surfboard and going out to where that wave is going to hit. Because for all of us, it's a different path to where that wave is going to hit. And so we, we talked about um, renewing our hope because sometimes we're on the beach and we go, I haven't seen a wave and I don't, you know, I was told a wave was coming, I haven't seen it yet, we, get, we lose our hope. And so we talked about revitalizing our hope. We, we talked about reactivating our dreams because it's actually in our dreams that we start beginning to find our hope. We learned about letting go of disappointment and dealing with disappointment appropriately. We've talked about having a mindset for personal growth. And, and now I feel like we need to be talking about love. So for the foreseeable future, that's where I'm going to be. And when I'm up here, that's what I'm going to talk about. So the question, so what's love got to do with it? The answer is everything. Everything. You see, 1 John teaches us that God is love. So if God is love, love is everything. And I think it's very interesting, this concept of love in God being loved, because we have to understand, Jesus was the perfect representation of the Father on earth. Like, he came and he said, I only do what my Father does, I only say what I see, what I hear my Father saying. He perfectly represented the Father, so God is love, so Jesus perfectly represented that love to us, and what are we? We're Christians. 
little Christs. I just taught at my father's church and I actually taught about how that word Christian was actually derogatory. It was an insult originally and we somehow claimed it and we moved off of, I think, the better word, disciples. Which, what are disciples? Disciples are people that are fervently chasing after their teacher to become like him. So as disciples, we are turning more and more into Christ. In fact, that's a promise. The more we gaze upon him, the more we look like him. So God is love. Jesus perfectly represented that love. And we are to be imitations of Jesus. We are turning into Jesus more and more. That's called sanctification. So we are more and more turning into love. So what's love got to do with it? Everything. Everything we do. Every, every interaction we have. Every interaction with God. It's a journey to become more and more like Him. To become more and more like love. Which is important to realize. Because when I was reading and I was studying about this, one verse jumped out at me. It's in Matthew 24, starting at verse 10. The context is... Jesus is talking about the last days. And he's saying, here's are the signs of the last days. Here's what will be happening in the last days. And the disciples were like, well, how do we know that's going to be happening? So they asked more, like, how do we know when is that going to be happening? And Jesus shares a whole bunch of things going, this is going to be a sign of the last days, and here's what you're going to start noticing. Here's what you're going to start seeing. And I'm going to start at verse 10. And now at that time, many will fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and mislead many people. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will become cold. I don't know about you guys, but I just want to give you a shocker. We live in the last days. I don't know how long those last days are going to be. It could be tomorrow, it could be 2,000 years from now. But we know the minute Jesus ascended, we were in the last days. And Jesus let us know in those last days a sign of that, something we will see when we look both at the church and at the world is that most people's love will become cold. And that reminded me of another thing about love. Jesus says this in John 13, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's that classic Christian song and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. What an amazing witness we have in a world where most people's love will grow cold. That we will actually be known for love. And in fact, we'll be so known for love, people go, you must be a Christian. You must be a disciple of Christ. And you go, why do you say that? Because you love. I see how you love me. I see how you love your brothers. I see how you love people. You must be a Christian. How great is our witness? Now, unfortunately, I don't see that as much as I want to. Unfortunately, sometimes, I've, I've said this before, sometimes I see the church and it looks a lot like the world. I look at the church and I actually see a lot of people's love go cold. In this season especially, I see people splitting and, and arguing and fighting over ideology that isn't important. And we've fallen away from our first love. We've fallen away from the primary commandment. And I see people's love grow cold. 
And I've had to repent and talk to the Lord about how my love has grown cold. Because when you're in a conflict with somebody, or if you're there's somebody that you disagree with, it can be so easy to dismiss them and throw them away and go, well, they're being silly, or they don't know, or they're being ignorant. And it's tempting to do that, but we're not, we're not supposed to. Because we're supposed to be love, and we're supposed to show that love and reflect that love, and it's supposed to happen to our best friend, and it's supposed to happen to our worst enemy. I was listening to a podcast and there was a leader, a pastor of a successful church and he was talking to uh, the host and the host was just asking him about the changes and the transitions in the church in this new season because a lot of, a lot of church leaders are talking about this new season that we're in because we are in a different place than two years ago. And so he said, you know, how did your church handle that? How did you do it? He goes, and the pastor said something that I think a lot of pastors think they've experienced, and I think a lot of pastors think, but most of us don't say it out loud. And I was like, that pastor just said that out loud? And I get to share it because he said it. I didn't say it. He said it. He goes, yeah, no, I mean, through COVID, we, you know, and all the, the political turmoil and, and the, the racial unrest, we, we lost about 30% of our church. Yeah. He goes, you know. You know, people just get upset. You're not talking about this enough. You're talking about that too much. You should close. You should open. You should reopen. You should reclose. He goes, you know, you just had these conflicts. We lost about 30% of the people. And there's a pause. And he said, but you know what? If I had to put money on it, I don't think the 30 that left, I, I wouldn't bet that they were saved. And I just said, what? Rewind? <laughs> what did he just say? He goes, I think they were probably church attenders. I don't necessarily know if they were saved. He goes, and if they were saved, they were certainly Christians, not disciples. I think that's the part that most pastors would, would think and would worry about, be concerned over. How many disciples do I have versus Christians? Because he said, his, his reasoning was, he goes, at the first excuse, they stopped attending. They broke from fellowship. They decided to get angry and leave. He goes, that doesn't seem like a disciple to me. He goes, I can maybe stretch my imagination and go, a Christian would do that, but I could definitely believe a non-believer would do that. That's why I'm kind of moving away personally from Christian, because I want to be a disciple. I want to be someone that fervently chases after my Savior, after my Lord, and I want to reflect Him. I want to look at a church that's actually impacting this world, not a church that's being impacted by the world. You see, we actually get a choice. We, we get to choose how to live our life. There's, there's two principles that we as believers live under. We can live under love or we can live under the law. And the Lord lets us make that choice. He lets us choose the measuring stick. You see, the catch is, whatever you choose to live under, the law or the love, 
That's the measuring stick he'll measure you by. Yeah. I, I do have to say, I find most Christians want to be judged by the law of love, but tend to judge by the law. I'm guilty of it. My wife and I were just talking about a person that has um, hurt us, has be, been kind of un, emotionally unsafe to me and my wife. And we were talking about this person and, and sharing the process we had to go through because my first reaction was judgmental. Goodbye, get out of here, you're unsafe, you're dangerous, you've hurt me, you've talked behind my back, you've slandered me to the rest of our friends, get out of here. <laughs> and I had to actually work on that because I realized, oh, I'm judging that person by the law and I'm actually inviting God to judge me by that same standard. And I don't know about you guys, but I can't, I can't, I can't make that standard. I will fall short every single time. And that's why when God comes to judge, I go, oh no, please judge me by law because in law is mercy and grace. <laughs> mercy did not give me what, what, what I deserve in grace to live up to. See, in the rule of law, there is no grace. You have to do it on your own. In the, in the law of love, there's grace. It's not up to you to make the standard. God empowers you to make the standard. We were talking about both of us having to go through that process of, of forgiveness and letting that person go, and, but doing it in a healthy way. And actually being able to show compassion and concern and, and care for whatever they're going through, not just going, yeah, that's on you. So we do that. We all fall into that trap. But we have to be careful. Jesus says in Matthew, do not judge so that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard or measure, it will be measured to you. He's so nice, isn't he? He lets us choose. He lets us choose. You can't have a season of growth. You can't have new people in here, right? You can't see the church expand and not have your love grow. You can't see the church expand and just go, but we want the right people. We want the ones who have it all together. You can't do that. That's not how that works. But if we're living with the rule of law, that's how we'll react. We'll say, come on in, but the minute you make a mistake, head on out. I was having a wonderful conversation with my father this Friday, and we both have the same mentality, and so... We were just standing in the kitchen, just throwing Bible verses at each other. You know, this is what God is saying, and this is what he means. And remember when he said it there? And yeah, and he repeated it here. And you know what we were talking about? We were talking about the church getting its act together. And one of my favorite bugaboos and one of his favorite bugaboos is, we're actually not called to judge the world. We're not called to punish the world. We're not called to discipline the world. Did you know that? We're called to love the world because he loved the world. In fact, when it talks about co-laboring with God, I've talked about it before, we're co-laborers with God, we're co-workers with God. If you look at what the Bible says about that, it's always in the context of co-laboring with God to build our brothers and sisters up in love. 
co-laboring with God to build the church and edify the church towards perfection. You see, when we work with God and we start building something, it's, not, it's never to punish the world. It's not even to correct the world, guys. It's actually to build the church. My dad has a saying, he goes, you know who the Bible is written for? Believers. We sometimes like to take the Bible and we like to beat non-believers over the head with it. It wasn't written for them, guys. It was written for us. To the church in Ephesus, not to Ephesus. To the believers in Philippi. In fact, the Bible itself says it's foolishness to those who do not believe. But we somehow take this foolishness and go, don't you understand? Paul says in Corinthians, talking about him and Apollos, because there was this big conflict, people were taking sides. I'm, I believe, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. He said, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Ephesians 4.16 talks about why God gave the, the Ephesians 4 gifts to the church, and it was to, to whom the whole body being, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, by what every joint supplies, the body works for the body. According to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Well, Miko, how are we supposed to respond to the world? The world's evil. Don't you understand the things that are going on? I totally understand the things that are going on. And so I look to my Bible. Lord, how do I respond to this? Luke 6.27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Later on in that chapter, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. It's very easy to love my children. It's very easy to love my wife. It's hard to love someone that says I'm stupid. It's hard to love someone that calls me a bigot. It's hard to love someone that says my beliefs are dumb. And I've experienced all of that, which is why I can have sympathy when I talk to homosexuals, or I talk to women that had an abortion, or I talk to most young people that I know that think Jesus is stupid, because that's what they feel the church has been telling them. I go, I can understand that. That's not fun. Further on in that chapter, in Luke 6, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil people. And this doesn't ignore 
righteous living. I know sometimes when we preach messages like love, some people go start getting worried about greasy grace, sloppy agape. Oh, you know, and Paul does that. Oh, so should I sin more so that God's grace, grace abounds more? I mean, we, you know the crazy thing about love? Love is the fulfillment of all the law. When we live in love, righteous living is baked into it. Because all the law is actually encapsulated in love. It's actually a higher standard. I tell listen, it's easier to follow the law in a religious way than it is actually to follow love. Because the law, especially when I'm wronged, it's easy when I'm wrong because the law says you were wronged. Okay, they stole from you, chop the hand off. That's the rule of law. Restitution. Punishment and restitution. The rule of love, though, that you stole from me. I love you and I forgive you. You hurt me. I love you and I forgive you. I don't pay back evil for evil. Sometimes I do it with gritted teeth. But I don't pay back evil for evil and I love you. and I want what's best for you and I pray for you. And I help you as best as I can. We'll talk about this later. I'm, love is sacrificial. It's not suicidal. We'll talk about that later. There are healthy limits and, and things to understand about love. But where is righteous living? All the commandments are summed up. Paul says it. Love is the fulfillment of the law. All the commandments are summed up in you shall love your neighbor as yourself. really funny. I got all the way down to this part of the message without even talking about some of the most basic verses, right, on love, right? What's the greatest commandment? Love Lord God with all your mind, strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So when I'm actually following the law of love, it's a higher standard, which is why God gives us the Holy Spirit and He gives us the empowerment, the grace to actually live up to that standard. It can be really hard It can be really hard because we are raised um, with the mentality of fairness. My son, my oldest son right now, <laughs> we have an ongoing conversation, me and him. Because when something doesn't go his way, he is at that phase where he goes, it's not fair! And I look at him because I'm a great father and I go, whoever said it was supposed to be? Because I don't teach my kids about fairness. That's silly. Life isn't fair. Why would I teach my kids fair? But we teach them. That, that gets taught. They'll learn it in school. He's learned it somewhere about fairness. And I'm like, I, I try and be just. I try and be equitable. But sometimes fairness has nothing to do with it. But we learn it's not fair. Because in love, in the law of love, you have to throw fair out. The law of love is not about fairness. The law of love is lending, not expecting it to be returned. The law of love is extending forgiveness, never knowing if they'll change their behavior. There's no give and take in love. It's just give. This is why we need the Holy Spirit, because He empowers us to do 
the giving without running dry. In 1 Samuel, Samuel says, Does the Lord have as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than a sacrifice, and to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. That word sacrifice there is talking about a literal sacrifice to give up something. In this instance, literally to give up something in worship. It's you know, the actual sacrifice of, the, of the, the animal. But that Hebrew word means more than just the literal sacrifice, it also to give something or to pay restitution. So it's better to obey than to sacrifice. Why are you bringing that up? Because sometimes God tells us to do something and we turn into lawyers. <laughs> we turn into merchants. Well, I don't necessarily know if I want to do that, but what if I did this? You know? Lord, that thing you want me to do, but you know, how about if I fast for five days? And, or Lord, I want this and I'm willing to fast for five days for it? Like, you know, we, we start this bartering thing. We start this conception and, and I just want to remind you guys, the Lord, more than anything, more than sacrifice, more than I gave all of my money to the poor. You know, some, I, I always have this daydream, this imagination, imagining of somebody going, I gave all my money to the poor, Lord, look at me. And Lord goes, I didn't ask you to do that. Now you don't got money. Seems good. The Lord said, I'd rather you obeyed what I said and not done something you think would be wonderful and great. So I just wanted to create that framework that God desires obedience above all else. So what is one of the most repeated commands in the Bible? Love God. Love God. Love God. How do I love God? First John, John was big on love. He was the one Jesus loved the most, after all. 1 John 5.3 For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. John says, Jesus says in John a lot, in chapter 15, read it, and he says this a lot, if you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey my commands. You love me because you obey my commands. If you do not love me, you do not obey my commands. If you do not obey my commands, my love is not in you. He says it every single which way. In John 15, it says, Remain in my love as I remain in my Father's love. And we know that he... He wants obedience more than sacrifice. So the question popped in my head, well, wait, so if I don't obey 
God, does that mean I, he no longer loves me? Of course not. It says, remain in my love. It doesn't say that his love changes. So I don't lose my place in his love if I don't obey. His love is constant. It's that I don't remain in a place to be receiving his love and having his love throw, flow through me to others, which is the point of everything. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Because if I remain in God's love, I receive his love, I can give his love, and if I stay there, I never run dry. When I see people that just are worn out, stressed out, blown up, blown out, I go, I wonder if they're in God's love. Not that you won't get stressed out if you're in God's love, but there's always grace to be there. So when I see people at the edge teetering of burnout, I go, you need to get into God's love again. Not that it magically makes every situation go away, but that's what strengthens you. That's what fills you back up so you can continue to pour. People can take from you because you're in the place of God's love. How do I remain in God's love? I obey his commands. Well, what does he command me to do? He commands me to love. He commands me to be like him. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. So what does he command me to do? He commands me to love the world so much I give myself. And I know what it all work out for good. Charlie already referenced this verse, which is also another wonderful verse. The Lord works for those who are called by his name and love him. It's all about love. So as I said, moving forward, that's all you're going to hear about from me. Love, love, love. We're going to talk about love in the following weeks. I'll be talking about what the world calls love and what we call love and the difference. Okay? How does love look? How does love respond? Because it's all about love. I was challenged. It jumped out at me. In the last days, because of the increase in lawlessness, there will be those who love grow cold, has grown cold. It doesn't die. It grows cold. And I said, Lord, show me the places in my heart that love has grown cold. Show me the places in my heart that I have stopped banking that fire. I've stopped building it up. I've stopped feeding it, both towards you and towards others. I'll tell you, he immediately challenged me with my wife. Immediately, he said, he said here's the things that sh you know she wants and she would love, but are inconvenient for you or uncomfortable for you, and you've just kind of moved away from doing them. I'm only saying this because she's not here. <laughs> And I repented and I started doing those little things again. And it's amazing. You wouldn't realize it. I mean, the women in the audience were like, yes, I would. Uh, but you wouldn't, just the small things. These weren't big things. It wasn't like this major failing in our relationship. It's just some stuff that just, you know, you found an excuse not to do. He started bringing up relationships that I have with people that I've let grow cold, that I've let offenses stand in between me and that person, or I've just let distance, I've let my busyness get in the way. He showed me situations in the world that I've made judgments on, that I've said, nope, never going to talk to you about this anymore, Lord, because I figured it out. So I want to encourage you guys right now, 
take a moment and ask the Lord, what areas of my heart have I let love grow cold? What areas of my heart do I need to start feeding again? Stoke that flame, build it back up. What areas of my heart need to be re-energized? And I would encourage you, if you need to, the altar is open. To come forward if you just want to pray and spend time with God. If you want prayer, I'll be available to agree with you to stoke that fire. Amen? So Father, I just pray right now that you would touch us, that you would show us those places that the fire has gone cold, that love has grown cold. And I would pray that you begin to show us the very practical ways to begin to feed it again. The phone calls, the conversations, the actions, the steps to take to start banking that fire, to start building that fire. And Father, I just pray there's no way that we can be the same when your love starts burning in our hearts. And I just pray right now that we would feel your love burning in our hearts more and more in a greater way. That your passion, Father, your shared passion with us would increase more and more and that we would feel your heartbeat over our relationships. We'd feel your heartbeat over our situations, over our mindsets, and that we would just say yes with arms wide open to you. In Jesus' name, amen.